Coffee and Cream with Rogers and Benning on Herd at Sports Radio. Yeah, I don't know many teams that have the setup we have. I mean, we go to practice in the afternoon, and thanks to Campus Rec, uh, they've been great to us. We're able to have, you know, we have two. We use both indoors for walkthrough, offenses in one, defenses in another, then we come together like no, no one has that. So not many people have that. Maybe someone else does. But adding that turf space has been great. You know, I, I like to let turf settle. I like to let it rain a couple times on it. So mainly we're using it for individual drills and for uh, the injured guys in, as they're in the pit over there maintaining their, their fitness. But um, I think it's going to be a great space for us, and I'm grateful that uh, it's been put in. All right, welcome back. Coffee and Cream DB, Andrew Rogers. Happy to have you with us. Happy to see everybody interacting. I know I probably sparked a few thoughts. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I'm trying to figure out what. Man, I'm, take, tra I'm taking personal shots at me, DB, for my football. Oh lord, it's hurting the heart over no, here. No, don't be that guy. You <laughs> got to stand by what Only you say. Kidding. It ain't personal. Only kidding. It ain't personal. Only kidding. You said the man sucks. I think. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, yeah. That, that's gonna get me to question aptitude. Mm -hmm. I don't. Sure. I can't say that any other way. Sure. Yeah. There's got to be some understanding too to everybody else out there that, for somebody that has played fantasy football for like. 12, 12 years, years yeah, right? Yeah. When you look at somebody of, of Kirk Cousins' value, mm -hmm. that's where it, it, it gets me to say what I say, right? Now, if I actually look back at the stats, right, if I look at him throwing 4,000 yards, as DB pointed out, and having consistent 4,000-yard seasons, that is probably one, uh, one of what some would say one of the worst takes out there, right? But when I look at somebody that gives me 15 consistent fantasy points versus, you know, the 17 or 18 I may need weekly, that's where, in turn, it leads me to say that he is not a, a quarterback that I want on my fantasy team. No, I understand. So, yes, my judgment is skewed sometimes because but of I, I my fantasy football. I just, I just think talent is grossly different from productivity. Take, if everybody optimized and maximized their talent – we'd be having much different shows all the time. Like sometimes talent doesn't blossom in the way that it, it should. It could have a lot of contributing factors. I know in the comments sections, people are trying to discern between talent and athletic. I, I'm not, that's not the same thing either. Athleticism is not the same in, in my opinion as, as talent. Now maybe it's varying degrees, but I can be pretty athletic. I can be able to do backflips. I can, I can be able to do front handsprings, and I may not be very talented. I, I think there's there. I think there's a there's a there's a difference. Mm. Mm-hmm. Ethan Piper is extremely athletic. Nobody's ever called so Ken asks. That's a great ever, word. Never, Ken asks. Nope, would you rather say athletic over talent? I prefer talent. I I, I prefer talent. Is talent why we have these conversations, though? If they were to say athletic, would it be different? Mm. Uh, I don't know. Probably not. Uh, again, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm 280 pounds and I can do a backflip, I'm athletic. That doesn't necessarily make you talented. If you're talented, you probably already are athletic. Yeah, and Professor says a good point here. Everybody says Tom Brady's the GOAT, or at least a lot of people. How athletic is he? No, he's talented. But how athletic is he? It's a good that, point. That's why, we, that's why mm -hmm. me and Adam get along. All right, let's go to Mitch Sherman now because he's with us. <laughs> let's, let's bring in Mitch. Mitch, welcome. Thanks for taking the time. Good morning. Hey, good to talk to you guys. 
Uh, Mitch, I, I don't know. We, I, I'm going to kind of go away from what we were just talking about. No, yeah, it's not relevant. <laughs> let's move on. Let, let's get into um, some Nebraska talk here because, you know, I've been going back and forth in my mind this week about how to feel about the good and the bad we can expect this year. You know, I, I feel like I'm speaking with the angel on my shoulder today <laughs> as I think about the 3-3-5, at least defensively. Can this defense, Mitch, disturb Minnesota enough in week one to potentially make up for slow offensive play? And I ask this question because all fall we've been hearing how the defense is ahead of the offense. I think that's going to have a lot to do with Minnesota's execution and what their plan is and, and how they go about attacking Nebraska. You know, I think the three three five, and we'll see, I, I, you know, I think it can be really effective against offenses that take chances. Um, going to have some, some, some issues, perhaps, if Minnesota is able to come out and be pretty basic in what it wants to do offensively and can run the ball and, and move the chains. and It's just content to eat the clock. Um, if they don't have to take risks, you know, if they're not behind the sticks and in a third and nine situation, then I think you take away what's maybe, um, the greatest asset of the three, three, five, when you get teams off balance and you can create chaos and big plays, you know, that's when, that's when the real advantage comes in. But, um, Nebraska has to be able to get, uh, like a negative play, you know, a, 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 a rush that gets no yards when Minnesota is, is playing it conservative. If we come out, if, if that game begins and the first couple times Minnesota has the ball, you know, it's first and 10, second and six, third and two, mm-hmm. and we see that repeatedly. I think even if they're not scoring, then that doesn't necessarily bode well for, for Nebraska down the road in this game. Mitch, were you surprised? Because um, I know the answer was specific to Malachi Coleman, but I think – he made it generally about the wide receiver spot. Then it morphed into freshman playing. He's clearly bucking the trend of, of what we think and how we assess college football now, right? Like guys recruit at a high level. They play young guys early. Um, that's what keeps folks in the program. But he's saying to the contrary, hey, listen, it's there to supplement, not supplant. If they can play when they can play, but it's a big boy league, we want to play with grown-ups. It seems almost yeah. contrary to what anybody else in college football is at least saying out loud, whether it's they're afraid to chase away freshmen that aren't playing and they're going to hit the portal or what, but he's letting you know the blueprint for how he thinks we're going to win, and you can take it or leave it if, as a young guy. Yeah, I think especially in this game. I mean, if Nebraska was starting off with Louisiana Tech and Northern Illinois, then I think they'd be more open to playing freshmen right off the bat. And he still wants to play freshmen. Mm-hmm. You know, I think at the you know a couple years in with Rule, you're going to see that he's got a propensity. We're going to find out to play freshmen even more than probably more than anything that we've seen at Nebraska. I mean, that is college football today. They come in more ready. They're they've been through. Um, all the different training that, that, that allows them to be ready. And you have the impatient factor with the transfer portal and, and NIL. You know, guys want to make money. To make money, they've got to have a name. So uh, I, I do think that freshmen are going to play a lot under Matt Rule. He's really talking about week one here when he when, – or he was when he 
came up with that answer on Tuesday. And I also think that that answer on Tuesday, and this just goes back to something that I've observed about Matt Rule from from day one in Nebraska, is that he's very aware of the narratives that are that are popular in the Nebraska football atmosphere. And for the last few days, and really he started this last Saturday, when he talked about freshmen filling in and needing to step up after the departure of Xavier Betts. So I, I think he felt by Tuesday that that had started to take on a life of its own. And all of a sudden the expectation from people was you're going to have to play Malachi Coleman. You're going to have to play Jaden Doss. You're going to have to play Jalen Lloyd. And it's like, well, wait a second. I mean, how many receivers are you really going to play? How many guys, I mean, how many guys do they need to play? I think they're going to be like either two back or two tight end more than half the time, which means you need two receivers on the field. I mean, they've got Billy Kemp. They've got Isaiah Garcia Castaneda. They should have Marcus Washington back, I would think, in time to play in this game. And then you've got Han and you've got Bullock and you've got Fleeks. I mean, I think he's just kind of speaking some truth and trying to rein the conversation back in where it needs to be that they may not need and probably won't need a ton of contributions from the freshmen right off the bat in week one. Week two at Colorado, that may be a different story. Now, Mitch, you mentioned freshmen. In your mind, what freshmen will step up right away? And two, are you thinking about that more from a position group point of view? Like, So if you are, what position group will see an influx of freshmen making an impact? Or is that more of like a special teams take? And you're like, oh, we'll see them on special teams. That'd be first. Special teams would be first. I do think you'll see freshmen on special teams, yeah. I mean, because they can um, – you know, there's there's not as much to, to – I don't want to downplay special teams, but there's just not as much to learn. I mean, you can run down on kickoffs, and I think you can get that – you can figure that out um, more easily than you can how to play um, sand linebacker. So uh, you'll see freshmen right away on on all the special teams, I think. Um, and then I, you know, I looked at the guys um, who did well in the spring. We haven't heard a lot about Prince Will and Cam Lenhart this fall. And I think that's by design. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they went into this fall at all positions with a real make trying to make a real effort not to talk about the freshmen too much in public, just to, so that so that there wasn't an unrealistic expectation that was created. And you notice they did that in the spring, too. They didn't talk about those defensive linemen a lot until 60,000 people saw those guys making plays in the spring game. And then they had to answer questions about it. And it became this conversation like, oh, they're, you know, they're both going to start. And eh, that was that was probably an overreaction. They're, they're, I think they're both going to play both of those two defensive linemen up front. Um, and I think Maverick Noonan would have had a chance to do the same thing at the jack position, although that's pretty deep. Um, with older players if he hadn't gotten hurt. So defensive line, there's going to be contributions. I think those guys both have the possibility of playing more than four games and bypassing a registered year. Um, Eric Fields, that rover, yeah, maybe. Um, He's going to be a special teams guy. Ethan Nation in the secondary, maybe. Another guy who's going to be on special teams. I think he could be the kickoff return specialist week one. Um, on the offensive side, receiver, um, there's there's gonna there's gonna be some contributions there at some point. Um, not sure 
you know, from, from the group that I mentioned, Coleman, Doss, Lloyd. So that's, um, you know, that's where I'm going. Uh, I, I don't know. Gunnar Gatula is going to play, going to play some, um, but I think they're hopeful that they can keep him to four games. Mitch, let me ask you something. And this full disclosure, I may be um, just hearing what I want to hear, but Coach Rule seems to be a big preventative measures guy. And even philosophically, right? Like, I think he wants the family atmosphere and to recruit guys that want to be there. And he wants the, the new facilities to look a certain way to promote this family environment, right? Like, to combat potentially guys wanting to leave. All-inclusive NIL, to, to combat guys wanting to leave taking the pressure off of freshmen with saying what he said the other day to put unrealistic expectations on them to keep them in the fray. How much of that do you think is part of the master plan to say, hey, listen, this is the place that you need to be because we'll think and care about you differently than a lot of other places in the country. And that's the trump card. That's the ultimate trump card that he's trying to play. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing there, that's like the, the thread that goes throughout all of what you just mentioned, is that he just he thinks it all through. Um, there's not really anything that he says or in public or in front of the team or any kind of action that he takes, strategy that, that he devises, you know, even down to the, um, the staff, on the administrative side and the coaching side below him uh, that, that he doesn't have um, his hands in. He talked about this last week, I believe, when a question was asked on uh, about the, the YouTube series that Nebraska is producing this, this month um, behind the scenes, the look in um, uh, inside training camp. And, you know, his comment was, you, you know, you guys know that I like to, I like to, I have to sign off on everything. And his, his point was that um, they're giving, they're giving Jordan Litton, the student who, who is producing these videos, you know, the freedom to, to go wherever he wants and rule trusts him. But leading into that rule said, you know, I've, I've got to, I've got to know, I've got to know everything that's going on. So um, it's just really strategic the way that he goes about all of that and you know all, everything in his program that's um you know so i think that's that's you know that's why you see um you know some of that stuff that you mentioned Dan. you know what's interesting about you just saying that is it, even in the summer when we did the sit down it was super long and we got it whittled down this is this it's gosh it, so when he i said hey you know no worries like i'll i'll we'll run it by you um before any sort of production and he looked at me Mitch and he said well that's that's not necessary I I trust you I'll I'll know if I say something stupid <laughs> and he has no even I don't know what we're going to talk about he has no idea what we're going to talk about but that was <laughs> that was the very first thing he said well he said don't worry about it I'll I'll, I'll know if I say something stupid I'll 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 be fine I felt like because just listening to you just say that, it's like, he, even in that, he has supreme confidence in the fact that he's either such a quick blinker, quick process, whatever, that he doesn't say anything willy-nilly. <laughs> right? Like, I, I, I find that, just listening to you say that, I, I, I find I'm even kind of more blown away because he's very, very consistent, and it doubles down on what you just said. 
Yeah, there have been very few things that he said in a in a press conference or an interview setting. And he's done so much media since he's been here, you know, the local stuff and then all the national things and people who've come in and, you know, so th- there's been very, very few things that I've heard him say where I've thought, hmm, you know, I wonder if he would have liked to have said that a little bit different. Um, it's, uh, you know, w- one or two uh, in, in all of nine months, which is really pretty shocking. Because most coaches, you know, even those coaches who are trained really well in how to communicate, something's going to come up, you know, every 10 minutes or so when you're put on the spot and you're asked questions that you're not sure you were going to get asked. You're going to have a little bit of a, of a slip of the tongue. I'm not saying it's going to be some mm-hmm. big PR disaster, but something where, yeah, if I could have if I could have thought about that for 10 minutes before I answered your question, I would have done it a lot different. And he doesn't. He doesn't fall in that trap. So um, it's just some of it's just natural for him uh, because he's a good speaker and, and, you know, he grew up in a situation where you know, he's the son of a pastor. So he's been in, he's, he's watched it his whole life, having to, someone who had to think on their feet and, and he's just good at it. And then also it has to, it comes down to the preparedness and the preparation. He spends a lot of time thinking about how he's going to answer this question, or it's just, a matter of thinking things through in his mind as he goes about his job on a daily basis. So he doesn't even really have to think about how he's going to answer the question. He knows because he's been, you know, he's been in that mindset twenty four seven since he uh, since he took over. Now, Mitch, you mentioned the word trust um, just a couple of answers back, and how he trusts the staff. How he trusts, you know, even more than his staff in regards to talking about, you know, the videographer and, and the little docu-series that they have going. How much trust do you think Coach Rule had right away in Coach Martin and knowing that the Huskers could make the best of a tough situation by promoting him to the role he's in because he's kind of been in that territory before and he's so versatile? Mm-hmm. Well, it was he was in a – you know, Rule found himself in a, in a good spot, again, because of his own um, – you know, preparedness and, and thinking ahead to have just to have Josh Martin on his staff when unexpectedly you're looking for a tight ends coach days before preseason camp begins. And, and it's not just like co- a coincidence or luck of the draw that Josh Martin fell into his lap um, in that situation. And it's not just like luck of the draw that he ended up on the staff last winter. You know, the seeds for that and, and not just that. But for like just about every position that's on his staff, there's a story behind it. And there's a reason why that person is in that position. And with Josh Martin, you know, Rule met Josh Martin's dad, Joe, who's a longtime high school football coach in Texas, like day one or day two when he got on the ground as the Baylor coach uh, back in 2017, late 2016, early 2017. Joe Martin was part of the delegation from the Texas High School Football Coaches Association who came into Waco and, you know, were unhappy that Matt Rule had been picked over some Texas guy. I think they wanted um, Sonny Dykes, who probably would have been a good hire looking <laughs> looking back at it. But Matt Rule turned out to be a, a good hire, too. Um, came, came stomping into the facility in Waco. You know, who is this guy from the East Coast? And Rule, in like an hour, won them over. So he met Joe then. That led him down the road to meet Josh, to follow Josh's career. And, you know, Josh ends up 
after coaching in the FBS for the better part of a decade in the high school ranks last year. And here's Rule coming out of the NFL trying to put together a staff, and there's Josh Martin. So it's not like just a total coincidence that he was even there in Lincoln in the first place. It, it goes way back. And that's why uh, it, it, it fell into place the way that it did at the end of July or the first part of August this, you know, this month. Um, so yeah, he trusts him. He trusts him because he knows him because he's followed him for a long time because he knows the, the kind of coaching pedigree that, that Josh comes from. Um, and, you know, I think you'll continue to see things like that down the road when an assistant coach, you know, probably not in a, in something that's as dramatic or unexpected as what happened with Bob Wager, but you know, when a coach, in the off season leaves because he's got a chance to, to um, move up in his career. Rule's going to have a guy. He's going to have a guy ready. It's not going to be like, Oh, I got to go back to square one and, you know, look for a, you know, whatever position coach to fill. He's going to know. And in, in, in a lot of cases that that replacement is going to be right there in Lincoln on his staff in a, in a, in a support role. Yeah. I, you're on a roll this morning. I, I'm, I'm, I'm listening and learning. Cause I, I think, 100%. Like, let's say, like, something goes wrong with Coach Sat, right? Like, I think he knows Coach Sat's temperament, right? Oh, if, let's say, for some ungodly reason, I got to strip play calling duties from him, right? That's happened before to Coach Sat. Like, he knows that he can deal with it. Coach Rule can do something. He's got guys underneath Coach Sat. If something happens with Coach Rayola, Coach Satterfield can fall in and, and play o, or take O-line. If, you know, Adam D. Michelle can help with tight – it's like – Almost everybody on that staff has one or two underlings that know what they're doing. It, I always tell people, like, in the high school level, I like to coach my way into having options. That's why I like to have more than one or two guys ready to play because I don't want to have to be married to, to poor performance or an injury. I think he coaches the exact same way with those preventative measures in place, Mitch. Yeah, I mean – Understudy, I think, is is uh, is a good good way to describe it. And and so the staff wasn't just thrown together. Yeah. When he started to put those pieces in place in in December and January, uh, I think that this the spots that he filled, um, like you mentioned, D. Michelle and you know guys like Shevin Smith and and uh, Bill good, Simpson. Good, good call on Shevin yeah. Smith. Yeah, uh, Bill Simpson. You know who's a who's an expert in D line play and has been a head coach at the high school level in, in Florida, you know, all of those guys, I think he puts just as much thought into those positions, knowing what they might become in the future as he does. He values them just as much as he does um, these coaches that we know so much about the ones that we hear from that come and talk to the media um, each week and are, are, you know, making the big salaries They're They're, you know, those are of course important choices for the head coach, but so are the, are the understudies, the people who, you know, could eventually someday be in those roles. Coach Rule's a planner. That's what he does. He has everything taken care of, and he's 10 steps ahead. Mitch Sherman, we appreciate your time, man. Thanks so much. We will talk again in a couple of weeks. Good to talk to you guys. Thanks. Thanks, Mitch. Game day. Game day? Uh, Can't can't wait. Not too shabby, right? (laughs) Not too shabby. Gosh, that's crazy. We'll see. We'll figure that out later. Yeah, we will. I hope all have landed. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Mitch. Mitch. Uh, It's Mitch Sherman, Nebraska and college football for The Athletic. We'll take a short break. More CNC next.